0: Well, it's summertime, and summertime, we run a little bit more casual, and so I, I thought of a way to start our message for today. Here goes. If you know, <laughs> if you know it, uh, you can feel free to join in with me. All right. It goes like this. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, conceal, don't feel. Put on a, oh, come on, put a show. Make one wrong move and everyone will know. OK, hold your applause, I know, yes. Woo! Um, I was going to tell my, my son was looking at my notes and he was like, you're going to sing it? He's like, oh yeah, I'm going for it. And he's like, I'm so glad, dad, that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I've been wanting to say this message for a long time. And sometimes you, you want to say a message, but you're, you're in a series and you, you want to stay true to where the, the scripture goes. And so you don't really get an opportunity. But the cool thing about summer is that it's a little bit more free. And so if there's a message that you've been kind of dying to share, you get an opportunity to share. I get an opportunity. Maybe the hardest lesson that I have ever had to learn as a Christian. And I think it's because it runs so counterintuitive to everything that I've been taught, everything that's been modeled to me. Like even at an early age from my dad, my dad was a, a proud Asian man. Now, if, if, if he had weaknesses, um, he definitely didn't show them. It's like we all knew what they were. That's kind of the funny thing. We all knew what they were, and, uh, and maybe he did, maybe he didn't. My, my mom definitely knew what they were. And sometimes my mom would share it with him and he was not having it there was one time when she was sharing about one of my father's weaknesses on the phone with a good girlfriend and my father happened to overhear so he ran in the room he disconnected the phone this part isn't so funny and then he, be- he became violent like physically abusive which was really another great weakness of his. But my father, when it comes to weakness, he did not know how to handle it. I mean, weaknesses are something that you're embarrassed about. It's something you you hide away. And so his policy was more like you hide your weaknesses and you lead with your strengths. And sometimes you put on a mask, you know? But you want people to define you and see you for your strengths. And you, you kind of hide. And, and you can see this. Like, you don't have to do it now, but if you go on Facebook, <laughs> right? You always see these pictures. And it's always a picture of like, oh, man, I kind of wish I was them and had what they had and was doing what they're doing, right? Because people tend to, you hide your weaknesses and you, you lead with your strengths, Now this has been modeled to me for so long and uh, I I have to admit that this policy of my father there's remnants of that legacy and that policy inside me and I'll just give you one example. I'm part of this men's group where we get together once a month and we talk about our marriages. Really that's the primary thing to share about my relationship. Uh, with my, my lovely wife, Randy, do you mind just standing up for a second? Just giving like, okay, uh, this just giving like a beautiful smile, okay? I, I, that's great, okay. I, I, I kind of want to put on the image like, okay, you can, you. All right, okay, that, that's it, thank you. That was just a little visual. And it's funny because there was one time that I'm talking to the guys and I just had a really bad fight like the week before, and I said some things that were, like, really embarrassing, and I'm sitting in this meeting, and I'm, I'm debating with them, should I, should I share, should I share, I don't know what to share, and there was this thought, if I do share, I'm afraid the guys are going to go, like, wow, that's a whole new level of bad, you know, like, like and so I'm thinking, what are the guys going to think, what are they going to think, and so I'm kind of, like, tempted to hold back. And, um, you know, I, I shared it, and I, I, I do think they were thinking, well, that's a whole level bad, but, but there I was. And I'm, I'm, it's this policy, do I hide my weaknesses and lead with my strengths? No, no, here's the thing. No, I, I want us to be invited into this, uh, this message, and I feel like it's a real easy way to be invited. What I'd like you guys to do right now, you can take out a piece of paper, or you can put it on your iPhones, but, but just identify one or two weaknesses inside yourself right this isn't too hard to do some people need to like you know really search deep and you're going to know what that weakness is as soon as your spouse tells you you know and others of you are like you're ready like coming up with the list you're like on weakness number 10 you know I don't I don't know But come up with something, and and would you just write it down so that this message is just more tangible, just more real. I'm going to give you, like, um, all sorts of time to do. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do this. And as you're doing it, I'm going to sing some more from Elsa. Now, uh, as you look at that, weakness that you identified for some of you it might be a failure for others of you it might be something that you lack maybe it's your health maybe it's your 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 discipline maybe it's an addiction maybe it's maybe it's public speaking maybe it's a broken relationship we got plenty of weaknesses now let me ask you as you think about the weakness that you identified how do you feel about that weakness Do you hide that away? Are you ashamed of it? Are you embarrassed about it? Maybe you feel like you could be a much better person if it were not for this weakness. You feel like if this weakness were removed, there is so much more I could do. Maybe even as a Christian, you feel like there is so much more I could do as a Christian. If I did not have this weakness, I could do it for the glory of God. And so you might say things like, I hope God will use me in life despite this weaknesses. Now, I just wonder if that's how you're approaching life. You're kind of going around hoping that God will use you despite that weakness. Now, what if I, I told you that that thinking just might be totally wrong? That thinking, if you hold it to Scripture, is just—it's just off. It's not really biblical. This whole approach to weakness just could be wrong. What if God wants to use you not despite your weakness, but through it? What if the greatest impact that you will make in this life? is not through your strengths, but actually through your weakness. It kind of changes things. Well, today we are going to look at a case study of weakness. Now, uh, when you think about this person that we're going to talk about, I, I don't think that the first thing that comes to mind is weakness but uh, let's take a deeper look into his story. This person is Gideon. Gideon in the book of Judges. Now, this was during a time in Israel where they, they uh, have conquered the land and they've settled down in the land. But this is before the kings. So there would come this crisis And God, at just the right time, would bring about a judge who is more like a military leader to deliver the people. So when you hear judge, don't be thinking Judge Judy. I Think more like Judge Dredd, right? You know, it's more a military leader. And so here is uh, Gideon. Now, I'll never forget this. I was in my Old Testament class and my professor was talking about the Gideon story, and he thought it was always interesting. It doesn't really hold a lot of relevance to the story, but it is some new information that it came about, so I wanted to share with you. Now, during this time, the crisis was a very oppressive neighbor. They were the Midianites. These guys were very oppressive. They were the super villains of the time. And they had one technical advantage that the Israelites did not have. Call it an advancement in technology. Call it a weapon of mass destruction. Call it a weapon of offensive odor. But this is what the Knights had that the Israelites did not have. It's a five-second video. There you go. They had camels. Yeah. Well, well, hold it, hold it, hold it now, now, don't no, hold it. I mean, I want you to imagine this. Let's just imagine that Yan and I are in a fight, right? He's got a weapon, I've got a weapon, but I have a vantage point. I'm swinging down on this man; he's swinging up, and plus, my camel is it bites. You know, I have the advantage, right? Okay, so there it is. There is. There's Midian, there's the Midianites, and there is Gideon. Now, when we meet our hero, we find him in a very unlikely place. And so, um, let's go ahead and start reading Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. All right, we have a simple story. Now, uh, I, I, I love this story because the, the, the character of Gideon is being portrayed just by the situation and just by the action, but if you really kind of understand, it's saying something pretty clearly. Now, what is he doing? He's, he's threshing wheat. Now, I'm no farmer, but I do know that when you're threshing wheat, you, you need like a, you need like a, a fork, a, you know, like a pitchfork, and you're taking the wheat and you're, you're taking it and you're kind of throwing it up in the air. Now, what you're doing is that you're wanting the, the, the outer husk to separate from the wheat, and so you, you need a lot of space, you need a lot of movement, You're moving. you're throwing stuff in the air. You need wide open space. You need something like this. But you don't find Gideon in something like this. He should be on a threshing floor. He should be in, you know, in the in the wide open space. But he's not there. Where is he? He's sort of like, he's sort of in here, right? Which is, uh, he's, you a know, wine press. It's a structure that's carved into the ground, it's cloistered, it's closeted, there's walls. He's doing some threshing, you can see like the pitchfork like this. Why is he doing that, right? You see him in a wine press. Now the, 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 the reason why, if Gideon were here, I think he would say, well, it's pretty simple. If I, if I were to thresh my wheat here, there would be a bunch of camel riders that would, would gather around and watch me. And then I would, I would finish and have all this unchaffed wheat, and they would, like, push me down. The camel would bite me and throw me, and then they would gather my wheat and go away. So here we see Gideon, and he's like the guy getting picked on by the school bully, and so he's hiding out in the bathroom stall eating his sandwich because he doesn't want the bully to take away the sandwich. Right? There's Gideon. Not exactly a picture of strength, this Gideon, not exactly a Donald Trump, this Gideon, uh, verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, said to him, "The Lord is with you." Also said, "Go in this might of yours." Now, no, I want to stop right there. Uh, how do you think this is written? You now it's hard to know, right? Because words, I mean, there's no intonation. Is it is it said like "Go in this might of yours," which you know that's the, or do you think it's "Go go in this might of yours," right? And he's like laughing a little bit. Now I don't I don't know. Are there angels? Do angels employ sarcasm? I, I, maybe 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 this might be one of the times because I think Gideon's like, look, I don't got no might. The angel is thinking, this guy doesn't have any. The wine press is saying, this guy has no might. And so Gideon's response is is like, really? Now, Gideon, he he gives two objections, the very practical uh, objections. They all have to do with the positional power that he does not have. He says, look, look, my family in the tribe of Manasseh is pretty weak, and in my family, I have a pretty uh, low position. Now, these are very uh, practical suggestions because you look for positional power first, and he does not have any positional power so now now here um, and and the angel doesn't argue with him on these these arguments but um, but the angel does give the most compelling reason why Gideon should obey but before that I just want to summarize what's going on here okay like I don't know when you're coming into this room and we're talking about Gideon you were probably thinking because he's a, a you know a mighty man of valor right you're probably thinking that he was he was this right is that true when in reality, Gideon was more like this. I'm going to put a picture of myself, but that that also will do too, right? Right? Is, is that is that so? We see Gideon not not mighty man of valor, but a Gideon who is you know he's hiding in the wine press. He's making he's he's got he's got zero positional authority. Uh, really, he's he's a very small Gideon. But the angel says, but this qualifies you, Gideon. This is the most compelling reason why you should obey, why you should go out, why you should um, deliver, why you should save Israel from the hand of Midian. He says this, God will be with you. Now let me just ask you, for you, is that compelling reason enough? When you, you know, Monday morning, Just knowing that God is going to be with you. Does that preach? Is that enough for you? Verse uh, 33. Now we're moving through this uh, story pretty quickly. We're moving through this story pretty quickly. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together. And they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. It's the military trumpet. So, okay, oh, right, right. So, um, so this, is, this is the, the next... The next movement in this story, it's a pretty big movement. Now, some of you might be wondering, oh, what happened? He was a weakling in a wine press, and now he's blowing a trumpet, and people are responding, what happened from from there to there? Let me give you a very quick uh, uh, summary of what happened. Gideon's first assignment when he agrees to obey God. Gideon's first assignment. Is, is God tells him, go and take down your, your father's altar to Baal. Take it down, and in its place, build an altar to God. Now, Gideon, Gideon does this, and he does it with 12 men, and he does it through the cover of night. He does it in a very stealthy, sneaky way, even to the point when everyone wakes up, they don't know who did it. But there is an altar to God instead of an altar to Baal. Now, it's interesting what, 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 what happens is that the townspeople gather everyone up at the altar, and they're really angry. They want to know who did this. And then it was revealed that Gideon did this, and they're like, bring Gideon to us now. This, this guy has to die. And his, his father comes out and defends Gideon, which is not a surprise. He did the dad, right? But he's basically like, look, you don't need to fight Baal's battles. If Baal is mad at my son, let Baal himself take him out. And so it's interesting, after that, people are like, oh, Baal's going to give it to Gideon, right? And so then they saw him the next day, and they started going, you know that guy right there? Baal's going to really take him out. Baal's going to take him out. Baal's going to take him out. And then the next day, like, Baal, Baal's probably going to take him out. Ne- you know. And then the next week, he's like, I think Baal it might just, t-. and then the next week, he's like, I don't think, I don't think Baal's really going to touch him. This man is protected. This man stands for God. So, so there is this story about him, and he got this reputation. And they probably started telling his story about how he stood up to the, his father, and this is a man for God. So when he blows the trumpet from Gideon, they know this is Gideon's trumpet. He's the man who stands for God. Let's rise up and fight the Midianites. Okay? So that's what happened. That's where we are. And uh, interestingly... Uh, They started, because they looked at him every day like, let Baal contend against him. They actually gave him a new name, which is Jerubal, Jerubal, which means let Baal contend against him. And then the man whose name, let Baal contend against him, blows the trumpet and calls God's people to battle. So, Gideon blows the trumpet. All these uh, men take arms. They all gather around. It's very regional. It's not all of Israel. And all the men gather for battle. And it's a total of 32,000 men. I just want you to imagine 32,000 men. So let me, I'm Gideon, and behind me, The men who have gathered for battle are 32,000 men. Now, north of here, north of here, like uh, in in another valley, there's there's some separation. The Mennonites have gathered together with the Amalekites and some other people groups, and you're probably wondering what's the size of the army? Is it 32,000 to 32,000? Now, what I I did is that when you look at the the scripture, it's not immediately obvious the size of the enemy. You you don't really know what Gideon is up against. And so you're kind of wondering. I did some research, and I actually found out what that number is. Uh, It's in chapter 8. And I got to admit to you. I was a little hesitating in revealing to you what that number was because I was concerned that when you find out the number, you're just going to re- re- kind of like dismiss the story like it's kind of a ridiculous story. But, but I can't manage that. So I'm just going to tell you the number. So you got uh, Gideon with his 32,000 and then the Midianites and the Malachites and other people groups, and they number 135,000. All right? So you do the math, and what's the ratio? Gideon, in this 32, versus the 135,000, and it comes to a ratio of 1 to 4. The odds are 1 to 4. I just want you to imagine, uh, Gideon's preparing for war, the that the troops have gathered around. You're expecting Gideon to, to turn to his men. I don't know if, if Gideon is, is very practical. Maybe he's a numbers guy. But just imagine, it's one to four. So you do the math. You imagine Gideon like, hey men, this is all we need to do. This is Gideon like the strategist. All of you just need to kill more than four people, right? So when you get out there, make sure you kill at least four people before you die yourself. You got it? Do not die before killing four people. Amen. It would be like his brave heart moment, right? Well, this is what happens, right? This, we're, now we're, we're in a, a, a chapter 2, verse uh, 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead, then okay, now get this, then twenty. 2,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. All right, so wow. Okay, I thought the one to four uh, odds was a good story, and God is aiming for so much more than just a good story. Now, it, it, we go even more. And a lot of you know the story. God says to the Gideon, you know, again, if any of you are scared, you can leave. Twenty, twenty, twenty-two thousand. Now the odds are one to thirteen, right? But the Lord is like, okay, hold it. There's still too many. There are still too many because I don't want them to come back and start boasting about their conquests and how what a great fighters they are. Like one to thirteen. And so God has them do this thing like go to the water and uh, to the brook, and you, you drink uh, from the bro- brook. And I want you to pay attention to how they drink. And some people are going to like um, come down and cup their hands and lap it like a dog. And, and other people, I, I, I'm not really clear about this one. They're gonna kneel, maybe they plunge right into the water and just start drinking from the brook. And so separate the people who like drink like a dog, you know. And there's 300, and those 300 are chosen, and people have tried to, you know, derive some meaning. Behind this, like, God just, you know, he likes dogs better than cats. You know, I mean, but there's really no symbolic meaning. The meaning is that the army was just too big. And when you have a really big army, the self-reliance card is in play. And God's like, we're not having that. We're going to make sure it's a very different deal. And so God then reduces the army from 32,000 to 10,000, 1 to 13 odds, and then from 10,000 all the way to 300 men. Now the odds are 1 to 450. Now imagine that speech turning around. Men, you just all need to kill 450 men a person. Do not die before we, you know, you know I mean, like, that, that, that is what's going on. Now, I just want to pause the story right here and just say, from a practical level, this is just utterly ridiculous. Like, if that was happening to me, I'd be like, God, what in the world are you doing? This makes no sense. And then when you're telling your kids these stories, it's a makes like a really engaging story. It's really engaging. But if this were happening to you, you would probably turn up to heaven and go, what in the world are you doing? God! Now, let me, now what's going on here? I mean, like, you, you read this story, and we're kind of tempted to think that, you know, something, this is a one-time incident. Like, sometimes God does this, but they're rarely, you know. He doesn't do this a lot. He only does this on special occasions, you know, with someone like Gideon. But what if God is actually doing this all the time? Or let me put it this way. What if this is God's preferred way of doing things? No, I'll give you another example. This one might have a little bit more authority to it. No, it has a lot more authority to it. Why, why does God reduce from 32 to 10 to 300 or three? I I can think of some examples. I'll give you one. There is this time when jesus was about to make his appearance in jerusalem big deal big deal and someone's thinking look you got a lot of like you know small town people who are really like infatuated with jesus but they are very easy to impress they got small minds but you got the big minds and the big religious leaders in the city they're in the city so if jesus is going to win the leadership of Israel. He's got to win Jerusalem. And so this is Jesus' red carpet moment. Jesus is about to make his debut, right, right into Jerusalem. And, uh, And this is how Jesus comes into town. Now, what goes through your mind when you see that? First of all, doesn't look like Jesus is huge, and he's riding like Donkey from Trek. You know, look at that. I mean, wouldn't you be like Jesus? We gotta talk about you. You need some. You need a PR consultant, Jesus. You really do, right? Because if you're gonna make an impression, you should come in on a war horse or a chariot, or you know, but not like that. Not with like this baby horse. You know, no. What's going on here? This was prophesied that this would be his entrance from the Old Testament. Jesus was meant to ride on that horse. Baby cold. Why? Can it be that this is not an isolated incident? That Gideon and how God works with Gideon is not an isolated incident? Can it be that this is God's preferred way of... I'll give you another example. I would think this example would be like the example of examples, Jesus Christ. When you think about his ministry and his impact, what was his greatest impact in all of human history? Was it his miracles? I mean, those were amazing, right? They were miraculous. Was it his teaching? Well, Jesus was a he was an amazing teacher. No what was the greatest impact that Jesus Christ made in human history? It was his death. It was his weakness. It was his crucifixion, naked on that cross. And by Jesus embracing weakness, he died for the sins of God's people who would believe in him. You see, can it be that God's Wants to use you, and your greatest impact is not going to be on your strength, but it's going to be in your weakness. Well, it was that for Jesus. Do you think it also might be true for you? Maybe the greatest impact that you will ever make is not through your wonderful gift or your talent or the resource that you have, but through your weakness, but through what you don't have. Gideon didn't have 135,000 soldiers. He had 300, and he had weakness, and that weakness was an incredible invitation to meet God in God's strength. And that way, God gets all the glory. No, I, I I I wonder for Gideon. Like, I, I imagine that he had such a decisive victory that he probably had a legend. You know, he was a hero of war, and people probably sang songs about him and talked about, and things probably got exaggerated. So someone maybe in the next generation must have chased Gideon down. And must have said, well, Gideon, tell me the real story. And I imagine, Gideon, you want to hear the real story? I want to hear the real story. Well, there is an angel of God, and the angel of God met me in a wine press while I was threshing wheat. What? Well, let me explain that. And then I started giving reasons why I couldn't. I had no positional authority. I got brothers who were stronger and more domineering than me. Plus those camels. And then we assembled for battle. There was 32,000. Then God reduced it to 10. And then God reduced it for three. Really? Well, what was the... It was one hundred and thirty-five thousand. Yes. Are you kidding me? No. And so we gathered in these three groups. We all had jars, right? We put these torches in the jars. And then we smashed the jars. And we said, For the Lord and for Gideon. And then... And then what did you do? And then we blew a trumpet. That was it? It was, it, was, it was a... Yeah, it was just trumpet. Did you pick up a sword and... Sw- I, we didn't pick up a sword. And- actually, no, 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 we did swing the sword. Like, when they were running away, we were chasing them down, and we, we actually struck them in the back from behind. Wow, that's really brave of you. Oh Yeah, well, no, okay. And then inevitably in that interview... The guy was looking at Gideon going like, wow, that totally wasn't you. That was all God. And Gideon's like, yeah, exactly. Now, can I ask you, is that the kind of life that you want to live? Do you want to live a kind of life where people look at your life and what you do and they go, wow, you're pretty amazing. You guys are like, actually, that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, Yeah, I kind of agree with, no, no, no. Or do you want the kind of life where people look at your life and they go, you know, it's not just you. There's something about you. Your God is amazing. What kind of life do we want to live? What kind of legacy do we want with you? Now, if that's the life that you want to pursue, and I believe that that is the life that we want to pursue, then Really, the way that we do it, the best way that we do it, is not necessarily through your strengths, but the better way is through your weakness. It's through your suffering. It's through your shortcomings. It's through your failures. Because in your story of failure, people see the fingerprints of a Savior. People see the God who's at work in your life. Now, I uh, wanted to close, and I was thinking of, of all these possible examples I could give, like the Apostle Paul and, and his weakness, like he he murdered Christians. That's pretty bad. Or Peter, like his weakness is that there were times when he was a big coward. Or John, I don't know if you guys have read 1 John, I'm not knocking scripture, but John kind of has like circular logic. Maybe that's a weakness, you know? And I was thinking of modern-day examples like uh, Nick Vucidjic, who has, you know, no arms, no legs, no worries, or the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, who is Bill. Help me out with that. Bill Johnson, I want to say Bill Johnson. You're not helping out with that. That's okay. Um, or, Or someone like Amy Carmichael, who suffered and was bed-bound uh, uh, bed for the last, you know, more than 10 years of her life. But I was thinking, I don't know, maybe these stories are a little bit too lofty, a little bit too unrelatable. Maybe maybe even Gideon people might find unrelatable because I haven't been necessarily in that uh, situation of 300 versus 135,000. So so I decided to share a more ordinary story. I hope that you can relate to this um, It's a story that comes from my vacation in Sedona, Arizona. Um, And yes, uh, here is the picture. Now, um, I have been told that I am super lucky to have a family and a clan like I do have. And what I mean by that is there's my brother's family, he's got two kids, Michelle was here two weeks ago, and there's my mom at 74, slugging it out with us on the camping ground, sharing a, a mat with me, like camping four days in a row, and so we have this incredible vacations together, and, um, and you can, yeah, we look pretty wonderful, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think we, we do have a wonderful family Like my, my, uh, my wife and my sister-in-law are like best friends And I'm close with my brother Okay, that's, that's, that's really great And may, I don't, you, maybe you're feeling really happy for me So now let, me, tell, let me tell you the, the truth You see, um, I, I see Raina kind of cringing <laughs> uh, <laughs> So not this last vacation uh, but the vacation be- before that, when we were getting together, I was, I was, you know, so looking forward to the vacation, and and then and then, boom, we got to Connecticut, and we were all on vacation. It was, it was wonderful, and it was great. And then I think the next day we were in sort of a planning meeting, right? You know, and we were deciding, okay, what we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to go eat. We're we going to do after that. We're going to go ski. We're going to do this. And in the course of this meeting on this you know wonderful vacation i started to look at everyone's face and we're trying to make a decision and i started to notice that people were not looking towards me and that they were more looking towards my older brother david david right there in the picture and uh i i i, I didn't know how to i don't know how to feel about that you know i i actually didn't feel very good about that it was what affirms me you know and uh, and Reyna was also deferring to my brother. You know, it's like, oh, what just happened here, right? And then I was feeling it at night when we would tell stories. We would tell these stories, and and um, and the kids were looking to my brother to be the storyteller. And when we were at all these meetings, I, I wanted to go. Wait a second, do you know who I am? I am the lead pastor. You know, I'm just like. You yeah, come on! What's going on here, right? But the, the, the dynamic with my brother is like my brother is the older brother, and so it doesn't matter if I'm whatever or or four-star general, he would still tell me, "Andy, just shut up and do what I say." That's why you love my brother. That's my brother, right? Uh, he's more domineering than me, and so my vacation was not really feeling like a vacation actually that issue ruined my vacation because people were not deferring to me and uh i was pretty ashamed about that and feeling kind of small so in this last vacation to sedona just in my own brokenness i was saying lord I'm really broken. I remember one time I was feeling, I just snuck away. I said, Lord Jesus, you were an amazing number two. And the way that you deferred to your father, you made submission beautiful. I want to be like you, but you got to do something here. <laughs> Help me. And I got to say that this vacation to Sedona, much, much better my brother was still acting like alpha dog and people were still not deferring to me and that was okay. I was being the best number two I can because I have Jesus and I have the gospel and Jesus saved my vacation. Now this is what I'm saying to you. I didn't really want to tell you this story. you know. In fact, I didn't even want to tell this to my wife but I told her sometime afterwards and she said, why don't you tell me this story? I said, because I'm embarrassed. It makes me look really small and weak. I don't like to go there. But here's the thing. This is the reality. The hero of my life has never been me. I'm just a man in a wine press with 300. It's always been Jesus. But when I share about my weakness, then it shows everyone who the real hero of my story is it's always been jesus and it gives god glory jesus saved my vacation jesus saved my life now if i need to showcase my weakness to show a savior who comes in time and time again to rescue well i'm willing to do that because he's the hero of my story and he's the hero of your story so you can think very differently about your weakness You can take that weakness and say, God, would you meet me in this weakness? And God will meet you. And now you have a hero of your story. And you can share and even boast about that weakness. Because it's never been about us. It's always been about the glory and the strength of God. So whatever your weakness is, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's like you know, I can't, I can't do this because I don't have that. You can, you can with faith move out in your weakness and expect God to meet you there. If you're like tempted to hide that weakness, you're like, Lord, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. Lord, I, 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 uh, I, I have, a, I have a past. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that this message is going to make you life. Yeah, and if you share that, then you can showcase the movement of a Savior who is redeeming your life and working in your life. Maybe whatever weakness you have, God will use you not despite that weakness, but through it. Maybe the, the greatest impact you will make is not through your strength, but it's through your weakness. It's through your failure. And you can point many, many other people to the same Savior who redeems. Would you stand with me? Um, let's, let's pray. Father, I I know that in many circles, we're taught that if you give your strengths to God, he's going to use you in a powerful way. Today, we're not going to lift up our strengths, but our weaknesses. And we pray that where we are short, people will see how tall you are. Where we are so weak, people will see how strong you are. Where we feel so powerless that by giving these weaknesses to you, people will see how powerful and infinitely loving you are. Help us to think differently about our weaknesses, but to stand boldly and to boast in them because we have a good, rescuing, redeeming God. In Jesus' name we pray.